In 2009, this evening's guest received an invitation to an annual event sponsored by an organization called Hero Partners. When he received the invitation, he thought about the influential and the powerful people that comprise that company. And he admired and he knew many of them. But when he thought about, am I going to attend? He said no. And for the next seven years, they asked him if he would attend again. And he said no. Finally, by year eight, he received and he accepted that call to action. And in the eighth year, he attended the annual event. And what surprised him, the experience, was so moving that he decided to do two things. The first thing he did, he said, I'm going to buy a piece of this company. But the second thing, it inspired him to write a wonderful book called The Hero Factor. Why did this evening's guest resist for all of those years into what ultimately became a book called The Hero Factor? This evening's guest used that as an opportunity to reflect, to count, and to measure moments of vulnerability so that he could better understand why it is he resisted the very thing that ultimately he came to embrace and those moments of self-discovery ultimately led him to rethink what it means to be a hero. And this evening's guest wakes up every day and goes to work in the service of someone else's success. That is what a hero does and there is no higher calling. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia, and my guest this evening, I am pleased to bring to the table Jeffrey Hazlett. Welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you very much. You just encapsulated what it is to be a, you know, a hero leader and have a hero culture. Well, when I read your book, it had a tremendous, I've read a few of the others, but something about the hero factor was more personal. Oh, yeah. It brought more vulnerability. It really humanized you. And Jeffrey, in order to introduce you, there are some challenges here because you have had <laughs> such an impressive uh, uh, career in, 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 in a storied pedigree. I, I just want to summarize for our listeners. I'm like the Forrest Gump of business. I've been <laughs> in all these very famous places over the years. Indeed. Well, I think I, one time I saw you bought and sold a couple hundred companies. Yeah. So if you hadn't done anything else, but to our listeners who don't know Jeff, I want to summarize in three things. I think one, with respect to the Fortune 100 experience, he was the chief marketing officer for Eastman Kodak. Second, where you may have seen him on television, he was a judge on Celebrity Apprentice for three years. And I think what I'm most proud of where we connect, simply because I grew up in the Bloomberg organization, mm. he had a television show when he was an editor on Bloomberg Television. And for that, I think we are kindred spirits because we've walked those same halls. But there's something, Jeffrey, when I read your book, The Hero Factor, it really helped me to recall where it is. As I got to know you through the book, where did Jeffrey come from? And what I found out that you and I both grow up, grew up in military installations. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about where you grew up, oh, yeah. what you learned in the service of others that I think ultimately led you to the hero? Yeah, when you're, when you're an, an, an Air Force brat or an Army brat or whatever it might be, 
uh, you, you move around a lot. And I actually moved, I didn't go to, I stayed in one place uh, one year, one year, one year, one year, one year. That was what it was like. Many times going back, so we lived in Warner Robins, Georgia, Wright, uh, Wright Patterson in, in Ohio, uh, Lucidale, Mississippi, uh, South Dakota. We were stationed there twice, stationed in, in Warner Robins a couple times. So, yeah, my family was all over the U.S. while my dad was serving. He was a, a senior master sergeant for the United States Air Force, served on the 48th Bomber Wing OMS, which means he was operational maintenance service, but he was one of uh, two sergeants on a base, you know, one usually a missile wing, and then he was on the bomber wing. And then growing up, when you reflect on that experience of having all of these people work in the service of a higher calling, is that when you began to think, I can be a businessman and do something in my life that may not be in the Air Force, but still in the service? Yeah, well, I actually th was going to go into the service, and then uh, I became very active in politics, and so I actually ran for lieutenant governor of the state of South Dakota when I was 17. And, uh, and I realized I could get an appointment to the United States Navy, uh, Air Force Academy, one, because my dad really wanted me to do that. As a sergeant, he would love to have seen that. Every generation of my family had been in the military uh, all the way since we came to this country in 1757. So uh, there's a strong military background and really the first uh, you know, generation to break that. Uh, but th what I found out was I was so involved in politics, I found out if I went to the U.S. Academy that you can't speak, you can't have political affiliations, you can't do any of that stuff. And that was a big thing for me. I'd worked at that time in campaigns. I went on to work in the United States Senate, the United States House, uh, doing a lot of different things over the years. So that was a big calling for me. But you know, where it was instilled was really my mom and dad just saying, no, you can do anything you want. And, and they made so. You know, I, I moved out of the house when I was 16 and pretty much on my own ever since then. Um, well, ever since then. And I, but my, they were very independent in how we grew up and what we do. So we were left to you know, go out and play, left to go out and do the things we were doing. If you want it, go get it. Uh, you want a new bike, son, you better go get a job. You know, and that's when I was 10 years old. I remember going down to the PX, which is the base exchange, and uh, and putting on layaway my Schwinn bike for the very first time, 50 bucks, and, and then my dad loaned me money for a push lawnmower, a push lawnmower. Uh, and then eventually I worked up to a, a electric and then a gas line. No, that's a worse yeah. workout. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that, you know, the push was bad. I can remember that. That was in 1970. And we were living in a trailer park outside the base. And uh, and that's how I got started. I bought my first uh, gold swim bike with a silver sparkly seat. I remember, I remember them that. well. Banana what? bars, too. Had banana bars. That's, that's what's pretty cool. Oh, the banana bars, if anybody remembers. What led you, though, from, I know you went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yep. You came to New York. Walk us through your evolution that what got you to Eastman Coast. Well, I was running political campaigns. That's really what started it. And doing the political campaigns led me to buy a printing operation because I was doing half the business at this local printer. Uh, the guy had run for governor. He was a county commissioner, a good friend of mine. Bought his business. That led me to another business, led me to another business, led me to doing uh, work with the National Association of Quick Printers and the Printing Industries of America. And that led me to opportunities in buying and selling some of the businesses. I saw an opportunity. There were people investing and buying up franchised operations. So I went out and sold uh, literally 50, 60 of them to different groups as we rolled them up. And that led me to a position inside of a company, which led me to an, you know, a, a hostile takeover. We, we did 148 acquisitions in one year. Um, we were literally doing them on the back of napkins, going around and buying and buying and buying. And then that led me to um, you know, a hostile takeover, which I got kicked out, took out a little bit of a rest, and I started another uh, franchise operation called uh, Team Logic IT. 
uh, with the folks from Franchise Services. I bought the very first ones. And uh, then that led me to a position at Kodak. I, I mean, like it, that was, it was just like one thing after another led to another. It wasn't, it wasn't any plan kind of thing. I mean, most people think, well, how did you plan for this? I didn't plan for it. I was flying by the seat of my pants, like most people do. Uh, although I just, I had certain criteria. You know, I wanted to make money, build wealth. I wanted to do something that was interesting, that I learned from, and I wanted to have fun. And those were my criteria. So that just led me to other things. I want to examine, for purposes of our listeners, the, the origin of this interview from Eastman Kodak, because what happened? at the time that you took over that was a, a, a time of massive disruption in what was an iconic company that changed the yeah. way we viewed photography. I'd love to hear, to the extent that we can summarize this, what did you learn out of being in there in the time where you were being disrupted? Well, like just like the beginning of your interview about why I put off joining the Hero Club, why I put off calling Rob Ryan back and so forth, we all get into stories. We get into stories of who we are and what we are and what someone's trying to ask us rather than saying, I don't know what I don't know. And the more that we do that, more in a state of awareness of I don't know what I don't know, the better opportunities that present themselves. You know, Kodak was a company that really believed it was a film company, but they were never a film company. They, they make, manage, and move image and information. That's what they do. It's a core of what they, what they are, material science, imaging science. And, and whatever that is, whether it's a digital form or it's a material form, it doesn't make a difference. But they got so caught up in that we're a film company. And they got caught up and make it like we used to be rather than what we could be. Right. And when you do that, then you get stuck and you get stuck in these stories. I can tell you here recently, not, not more than three or four months ago, I was at, a, uh, at an event where someone from Kodak was giving the same exact stats of how many people visit their website a day that we were given in 2006. The exact same, and I know it's the exact same phrase. I know exactly what they said, how they said it. When I heard that, I'm going, they're still stuck in the story. Was that driven by the culture, by the leadership, or can you not culture. separate them? Culture. It's always culture. Uh, you know, and that's why I'm so involved with the Hero Club, because you, you want to drive a hero culture. If you drive a culture that's immersed, culture takes a long time to develop. And, and the culture is an amalgamation of everybody in the, in the organization. You know, I'm Kodak, you're Kodak, she's Kodak, he's Kodak, and together we make Kodak. And we can only be as good as our lowest common denominator. So if, we, if most of our people believe in the old story, you can't move to the new story. There's no way possible. You have to you weed all those people out. You can't, it's very difficult to even get them to drink the Kool-Aid because they'll go back to the same kinds of DNA of what they used to be. And so it's a very difficult thing to do. So you really have to make some real changes. You have to, you have to diversify. You have to get me more inclusive. You have to change the way in which you, you know, really look at things. And, and that's, again, getting back to the Hero Club, that's why we're so adamant about the Hero Club. And, and what I found with the Hero Factor is that companies that exhibit different kinds of things along those ways, they earn more, they gross more, they have happier employees, more engaged customers and vendors who want to do business with them. So that's a pretty cool thing. And I appreciate that. And when I read the book, and I've read a couple of the other books, but because this was more personal, you talked about it in a more more characteristically of the human spirit. This yeah. is what the successful people do. And you talked about some of the characteristics. Pick, pick three of them, which I will say to our listeners, have nothing to do potentially where they went to college, what their GPA yeah. is, what their IQ was. It was much more mountain climbers and runners and yeah. well it's people who have real real great values what i call walk away values i think that's one of the most distinct things that you where you see great leaders and where you see great leaders of companies is they have what they call walk away values 
And what do walkaway values? It means that if something occurs in our organization or our business that isn't in line with the values, we walk away. Or we don't ship the product. If it, if it has a, a flaw in it and we said we're, we're, we're not going to do that, we don't ship it. You know, or we tell the, that. Yeah, or we tell the truth and say, hey, it's not the most perfect thing, but it's pretty good and get most of your stuff. And when the rest of it doesn't do it, you let us know. Right. Like we want to cook a meal perfectly every time. But guess what? We don't do that. Right. So there's companies that have great walk away values. Now, you might not dis might, might you might disagree with those walk away values when you want to do business. Let's take Kathy Truitt for a good example uh, or Truett Kathy, the, the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A. I put him in the book, and I look. He's got a belief that you should not be uh, uh, two two same sex marriage. You shouldn't have same sex marriage. You can't have two people of the same sex shouldn't have a marriage. He believes that profoundly. He talks about it and so forth. And of course, some people get up uh, get upset about it. But my gosh, I don't know. In, in this country, last I checked, you can say whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want, and that's okay. One could even become president potentially. Oh yeah. Well, we can get into that too. I mean, that that's another whole thing. But my belief is. He has every right to do that. I don't agree with his philosophy, but I respect that he can do it, and I uphold his right to do it. Just like no different than a guy taking a knee on the sideline. Don't like it. There ought to be a consequence of it, from my perspective, an economic consequence, which it certainly has happened to some of these guys. But they certainly can do it, right? And But to me, those are walkaway values. They exhibit walkaway values. I think that's awesome. And that doesn't mean I'm, you know, like what's they say with Truett? It doesn't mean I'm. I don't like his philosophy. I don't. I don't care for it whatsoever. But he makes a mean chicken sandwich, and that's really what his business is about. And it's not about the other thing. And you respect his right I to believe it. I respect his right to believe it. Hold and, true to his values. And you know, and that I know that when you know Trump was running the first time, and a lot of people you know think we're good friends because I was on the show. I think he's bat you know whatever crazy, but nonetheless he can do whatever he wants. And last I checked, a lot of people voted for him. Uh, it wasn't me, but a lot of other people did. God bless him for that. Now, I'd like to see him be more presidential, more inclusive, more diverse, and then he'd be a better hero leader because he's certainly not a hero leader. He's, well, not, he's not leading a hero culture. I want to shift to that in just a second. We'll take a station identification. You are tuned in to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia. This is Talk Radio 70, 77 WABC. My guest is Jeff Hazlett. Jeff, what, what also I take away from you, and I wonder if we can focus on this in just a second. You talk about mindset. And you talk about thinking yep. big and acting bigger. And that, that was an, uh, it was certainly in the hero factor, but it came through in the other books. Yep. Talk about our listeners, Jeff, are 20-somethings. They are striving in their career to climb. What is the insight that you can provide as toward what advice do you give to them about the mindset, not necessarily avoiding the importance of this skill set, but how to think about yourself and your career. Well, for a lot of young people right now, they're being told to follow their passion. Right. Yeah, which I don't, I don't agree with. I agree. I f follow your purpose. But not your passion. Right. Purpose is great. Pa what, passion. You, you might follow your passion and be a be a uh, an art. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to offend anyone. But you you might you know your your passions. Uh, I don't know. Under, underwater basket weaving. Well, great. Good for you. But ain't nobody buying it. So find a purpose. And then let that fund your passion. You know, right. I think that's a great way to do it. But that's a, that's one of the big things that I see with a little bit more younger folks is that they're still looking for that. And I think we should spend a little bit more time being reflective of what our you know what is our true north, what is our purpose, what are our values. And I and I call those personal conditions of satisfaction. 
you know, what are yours? What drives you? And if you really get down to that and have really more open discussions about that uh, internally and or with your spouse or your partner or your family or your company or g keep going, then the better we are. Um, one is a society, but better we are in terms of business or, or it's just really people. You also talk about it if we don't follow the passion so that you don't run out of money and you go to work in the service of whatever it is you are you are trying to do you talk about the big secret mm -hmm. and there are many people who claim the gen z generation they're not working hard enough or because they're following their passion they may not talk about that big no secret. i just think older people we work stupid that's all hey, right I, i'm a i'm a millennial in a baby boomer body you know the first one that the first kid that comes up to me and says okay boomer i'm punching him in the throat so just so you, you're aware of it you know because i by the way i believe age discrimination is just as bad as racism okay. and and we're seeing that with millennials i, I don't right. like uh you know baby boomers or olders or you know whoever they might be talk about young kids that this is the way they think or do like no these are people come yeah. on don't don't <laughs> i just fair. think they're smart smarter i think those, those young people who are working like they're doing are just smarter. I mean, I know some guys that are running businesses making $100,000 a month, and they're, not, they're working two, three hours a day. I, 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 hello, I want more of those side gigs like that, and they're calling them side hustles. And, of course, when I first saw this stuff, I was like, oh, my God, we can't do it that way until I realized, well, that's brilliant. You know, so I think that's one of the key things we have a learning is that we can just do it differently. Again, it's that mindset, it's that story. It's me thinking Rob Ryan, you know, who sold his business for $20.4 billion, kept calling me up, kept calling me up, come to this meeting, come to this meeting. I'm thinking he wants a check from Mitt Romney. Last thing I want to do is write a check from Mitt Romney. And so, uh, so I kept ignoring. No. Yeah, so, I, so I kept ignoring. I just didn't return his call until I ran into him and he says, hey, you're, you give me a buck. And I gave him a buck. And he said, what do you need a buck? You're a billionaire. I thought maybe he needed a soda or something. So I pulled out a buck and gave it to him. And he said, you just bought the Hero Club, which I said, what the heck's the Hero Club? And that's what got us into this thing. And, and just to, you know, if I, but the key thing is, should we be keeping our minds open to the perspective that it might be something different than we thought? I mean, let's, let's go back to the, the examples of, of, of key values that really separate great leaders. Let's look at Starbucks. Two black men, young black men, walk into a Starbucks in Philadelphia. They sit down. They take out their phones, they start working, they start working and then doing thing, conversation. Somebody comes over and says, you gotta buy something if you don't leave. No, no, we're just waiting for a meeting. We have a meeting, guys showing up here in a few minutes and uh, just, you know, settle down, we'll, we'll, we'll get some people coming. And he goes, you know, if you don't buy something, I'm calling the cops. And that's what they did. And they call the cops, arrest these two guys. Yet when everyone knows that Starbucks, you can walk into Starbucks and sit all day long, not buy one thing, but maybe because these two gentlemen were of a different color, they said you got to buy something or thought they were hoodlums or whatever, you know, whatever term you want to use. And, and wow. Now, if you'd have gone into it and said, well, there's two successful young business guys that look like they're going to do a business deal. Maybe I should bring them a cup of coffee and maybe they'll cut me in on the deal. Maybe that's a different perspective. I don't know. But the, the issue is then what Starbucks did with it. Remember, they shut down the entire company for a day, did some training. Because Starbucks is not a place to go get coffee. Starbucks, if you look at its core, is a meeting place. Right. That's exactly what they say. Right. And that, so they try to do everything around a meeting place. They just happen to sell coffee muffins and everything else. And, right. and so, I, again, it gets back to the stories that we think of what these people are or who they are or what this business is or whatever that limits us in what we do. Yeah. Pivot, if you would, in, in our time remaining, when I introduced you as an individual who goes to work in the service of someone else's success, 
you have created a network, yeah. a network of C-suite people, and I am very proud that me and my producing partners are becoming a part of it, and thank you for the opportunity to do that. Thank you for writing the check. No, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that's what makes it go, too, right? Yeah. If you need, you know, it, I once, I'm sorry, but i just excited by this. Yeah. Once I was partners with Sheldon Adelson, one of the richest men in the world, and and we had just sold Comdex to um, Sun, the Sun Company over in Japan for $900 million. And as we were doing that, I just said, you know, Sheldon, what makes a great trade show? Because he was running Comdex, a big trade show, his biggest computer trade show, uh, bigger than CES at the, at the time. And he said, attendees beget exhibitors, exhibitors beget attendees. And I'll never forget that. And so the same thing's true. So as I'm building C-Suite Radio, C-Suite TV, or any of the other, I need great content, right. great content people, great hosts, great you know interviewers, great great you know interviews, great you know content that gets me more people who want to come in, gets me more advertisers, gets me everything. So thank you. Well, I, I say that because you've always been, as I've I've watched you in your career, you've always been someone that had a voice. But what I love about what ties back to the hero factor is you now come in every day to give other people a voice. Oh, absolutely. And, and what have you learned then from the evolution of C-Suite Network when you think about your past? <laughs> what do we tell our listeners about what a hero is, what a, someone who aspires to achieve the C-level how are they going to get there? Yeah. Give them that advice. The more you give, the more you get. Right. That's a, that's a fact. And yeah. so the more that I give and more I do for others, the more I get back. You know, I have an extensive, extensive Rolodex, as you could probably imagine, yeah. of knowing different people. I, you know, like most people know sports people or music people. I don't know anybody. Outside, maybe 10. Maybe 10. That's literally, I, I couldn't tell you who the pop person is, maybe Beyonce, because I met her at the Oscars. But, you know, most of those people I couldn't tell you. But you name a company, and I'll tell you who the CEO is, CMO is, those kind of things, because that's the game I play in. But most of those people, I've been their referrals for jobs for four or five jobs or two jobs, or they call me when they need something. And when you think about their characteristics, the best, yeah, three factors. What are they? What do they exhibit? Uh, the, the prob probably the first two, focus and focus. Okay, focus and focus. Yeah. That's and not then, negotiable. Yeah, and then third, they listen. That's the other piece that most people don't understand about most C-suite executives, they listen. And so the more they listen, or at least the key ones, they, the more they listen, the more they can get to the core of the story. It's like when you've made a presentation at a board level, um, you walk into the board, and right away you you walk in there with your presentation, and your CEO, and you pass out the presentation. Your CEO turns to page four immediately, mm -hmm. and then says, "Oh, I want to talk about this one." And that is yep. your weakest point in the slide, right? Yep. Because they've listened, they've seen it, they know, and they're paying attention, and they're so focused on the things that they got to do. You also talked in the hero factor, which I really appreciated. Is instead of listing it as a resume of all the great things you've done you've talked about some of the things you didn't do particularly well and you showed a lot yeah. of vulnerability how important is it for us to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with our shareholders oh well always with yourself first you should be telling your shareholders you're failing you should be telling your shareholders you're not doing as well as you did i just did an investment letter this weekend you know saying here's all the good things but let me be clear here's all the challenges and the bad things you know mm -hmm. and a lot of people ask me all the time said jeff what's the worst thing you've ever done i said i don't know i haven't done it yet because there's more i'm going to do i'm going to make big mistakes and that's i think good leaders know that that's just the case and big deal so you make a mistake no one died let's move on you know, and that's and I think that's a good good mark of a great leader as well. Is the the realization that those are just steps along the way. Our goal is to get to success as fast as we can. Right. A lot of people are trying to get to failures as fast as you can. You're going to fail. You know the whole thing about fail fast. 
bull, whatever. I don't know if I can say it on my show. I can swear, but yours we probably can't. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, so, but bull, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. It's not. I don't want you to fail fast. I want you to win fast. Right. And that's the game we're in. And the faster that we can get to that, the better. You're going to have a million failures. There's also a very big distinction that you make about you can be a great businessman and incredibly successful and make a bucket of money and still be a good guy. Amen. I quit my last big job because of that. We laid off a lot of people. I didn't like it. And everybody got bonuses except for the people that we laid off. That doesn't seem right. right. You know, how much money do you really need in life? I mean, to do with the things you do. I'm not, I'm, look, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist, A1. But at the same time, shouldn't we all gain equal gain? You know, to have, to have CEOs gain it at 150x and the employees not, that doesn't seem right to me. But in the hero factor, you talk about a conversation with your father-in-law who talked about yeah. you yeah. as being the fat cat. Yeah, he's, and he said, you and all you people. And yeah. I, I, I could almost hear him saying it. Yeah, he was a nice, I mean, my father-in-law is the nicest guy in the world. He's a farmer and he's, in, and he's now just turned 80 years old. And he, he's the nicest guy in the world. And he said, yeah, those fat cats should pay their fair share. And I turned to him, I said, Bob, who are you talking about fat cats? That's me, man. Why should I be taxed at a higher rate than you? That doesn't seem fair to me. I'm using the same roads you are. I'm using the same services you are, but yet I have to pay in. I don't mind paying in my fair share, but I shouldn't have to pay in an extra share just because I've been extra successful in my life and I've worked harder than other people or I've been luckier than other people because it's both of those things. Right. But typically, it's a lot more about the work, not right. the luck. And why be penalized for success? It's not fair. Not fair. There we go. I'm, there would Bring Steve Forbes back with that flat tax. Let's get that back in. Let's do that. <laughs> One index card. <laughs> One signature. I call Steve. You just did your He's not running again, but thank goodness. But you know, but Steve's got a right idea about that. It's a lot easier. You yeah. know, just here's yeah. You made this much. That's your tax. Did you pay it? Yes or no? Yeah. If you didn't pay that, tick a box. It's real simple. In our time remaining, something we do on every single show, we ask ourselves, what do we want our listeners to think? What do we want them to feel? And what do we want them to do when Jeff Hazlett stops speaking on this radio show? So let's examine that. What do you want our audience? 20s, 30s, 40s, they come from all walks of life. What do you want them to think about their success and their careers? Well, how they're doing it better. And that, and what are they going to do to help the world is a big part of it. Not that I'm running for uh, Miss Universe or anything. I'm just saying we have a responsibility to leave this place in better shape than when we, when we got here. What do you want them to feel? Oh, I want them to feel. <laughs> I want them to feel happy. I, yeah, that'd be the word I'd use. I want <laughs> people happiness. feel happy. I want to be happy. I want to have a good time. Yeah. And what do you want them to do? Oh, get get off there, you know what, and get it done. That's right. the name of the game. Don't wait. Nobody's The person that's responsible for your success is looking back in the mirror at you every single day. All right, so you talk about the success as the intersection of a few things, and that's preparation, opportunity, and execution. And that comes through on your book a lot. I'm really blessed to James, uh, our account partner at 77WABC, for coming together, with, for bringing us together. Because we, as you know, are in the process of, of we have created a pilot episode yep. for what we hope is a television show that appears somewhere called A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. Because we, like you, or my producing partners and I, we go to work every day in the service of someone else's success. What are the challenges that you have found in spite of your wonderful mentality and being a good guy and still being incredibly successful about dealing with all those people that you've navigated through the world. <laughs> now, this this is this is a big question, but I really appreciate that. No, I'm doing that. it today. Right, I, you do it every day. No, today, I, the, the key is to not lose patience. It, it, it's not an easy thing we do. 
success is not an easy thing. And if it was, if it was easy, everybody would do it. To, to be at the top, to climb to the top, it's not for everybody. Right. And, and so patience is an important piece of it. And I have a tough time with that. I get very frustrated. I have very short attention span. I have very short fuse. And my, my proclivity is just to say, give it to me. I'll do it myself. And, but that doesn't get us where we want to go. So there's a great guy that's been involved in the C-Suite Network called Jason Forrest. And he, did, he said something one time on a stage. He said, no show do. I went, wow, that's pretty cool. You know it. We know it. Let's show it. Now they, you go do it. Execution. Yeah, and so, but the most of the time we know it, we show it, but we keep doing it, right. and we don't give it to somebody else to do. So that's been the the hardest thing for me, is to you know to work with the patience to do the delegation that I have to do, or the leadership that I need to do to teach other people how to do it. I, I actually on, on a sheet of paper I have three columns: what I got to get done today, what I got to get done this week, and what are big things to watch out for. And I make that sheet every day. And at the bottom of that sheet, I write the word delegate because I you have really, to remind yourself. No, I have to remind myself <laughs> to delegate. It's one of my big things, and I'm really going to work very hard on it this year to do more of it because if I know I can do that, I can scale, and I can scale at a much faster rate. Not that I'm not scaling because I'm growing at about 117%, but, um, but I want to do things much bigger in a better way. And, you know, and I just recently went through a capital raise, so that gives me some capital that I didn't have because up until this has been me and all my money, and, and uh, now I'm going to use some OPM, other people's money, to go do what we want to do. Well, what you're describing, though, is something Chris, my producing partner, and I in, in our business, client Leadership, we teach a lot of people how to stand and deliver, but we also teach, because Chris is an actor, we teach the art of improvisation. Mm. And when you talk about improvisation, you talk about giving a gift. You're actually handing somebody something. And what are they going to do with the gift? And they're going to give it to someone else. But what we know is we're going to give that gift and whatever comes back is going to be free of judgment. It may have a mistake. It's okay. There's a lot of parallels in what you must have done in Celebrity Apprentice producing that television show with what you see as people who are in the business of giving gifts like you did. To well, the it. TV show is a little bit different, even though it's reality, and it, it's considered a game show. That's what they really could. It has some strict rules to it. But, you know, the producers are really trying to have people fight and do a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, they want attention. Yeah, they want a little bit of attention. I think yeah. we, but they, they want... They like to see unhealthy tension. Right. I think most business people want to see healthy tension. And I, and I say that's one of the five characteristics of why I see organizations really grow. One of those is creating tension. Good leaders cause tension, Indeed. healthy tension. No question. Who, who you know, challenge debate. Let's have discussion. You know, it's like this morning I had a conference call on some of these. We're throwing a bunch of leadership forums in the C-suite network. And people were talking about, well, some people have some questions about how we're positioning this and what this is. And that's when one of my executives coming into the room saying this on a video call. And I said, well, who, who are those people? Who are the people? You know, like, do, are these, is, is it a tribe of aborigines in Australia? Or is it this a fictitious people? Are they avatars? What? And, you know, because I was trying to, like, I want real names. I want someone asking me what your issue is and be upfront about it. Let's be transparent. And so I caused that. It was very uncomfortable with the team to do that. But it's because I'm, I'm I, it's just get it out. Let's yeah. be direct. Let's be yeah. transparent. Let's, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you're going to challenge me and you don't like what I have. Great. Challenge me because chances are I'm wrong, okay? Or b b by this discussion, we can make it better. And that's a much better place to be in. Well, you, you have had no choice throughout the course of your career to be a provocateur. Everything I've read that you have written, 
that I have read was about inspiring, yeah. was about persuading. Yeah, you had to yeah. move him to your cause. Right. Most important thing that comes out of a Jeff Hazlett, any kind of literature, even on television, is about provoking change. Because right. what most business people do, they don't make film, they don't make image, they provoke change. Oh, in the, yeah. way, the way we think, right. what we do. That's you. Yeah, well, I like to have the discussion. To me, it's interesting. You know, like there's a lot of times when people, when they've seen me on TV or something or in an interview, they'll say, did he just say that? You know, I like those moments because I think that gets you to think about your position and where you are and what you want to be. And, and for me, for the most part, it's me. I'm doing that because I want to see what that is, and it's intriguing to me. And if it's not exciting, I don't want to do it. Uh, even though sometimes I've got you know a producer in my ear whispering questions, oh, take them this way, take them this way. Most of the time, I'm ignoring that because I'm going where I want to go. Um, but then sometimes I have to circle back for it because it is TV or it is my producer, and so I'll have to ask those questions. And but I tend to like I like I tend to like to do that. That's what I you know. And I'm a big guy, which you know, quite frankly, I didn't realize for many years that I'm a big guy. Um, until one day, I, you know, I was played rugby uh, for years, and I, I looked at a picture, and I go, who the heck is that big guy? And, well, and that was me. And that was, that was the first realization. That was back in 1986, actually. And, and I saw this picture of me on a rugby team, and I went, holy crap, I'm a fairly big guy. Well, I never thought of myself like that. And in business situations, I have to sometimes be careful because of, uh, one, strength, uh, just you know, the size of my body size, my voice, my entire emotional state, right, uh, can swing people one way or the other. And but more importantly, this I I tend to take a stand and tend to go somewhere with it. And yeah. so a lot of people have a tough time with that. So I have to be very careful to be inclusive of other people in the discussions when I consider it. Early on, <laughs> you talked about because I don't always consider it. No, I get, no, no. I get I, be, I, I'll I, be fair. I, I, be fair. I, I have to say, you're getting better at considering things. Yeah, sure. Your, your evolution. Now, yeah. we're, what we're going to wrap up with is you talked early on, and I think we're all the product of this. We don't know exactly what's we, we don't know what's ahead of us. Yeah. We twist and we turn, and right. we opportunistically take the things that excite us or the things that we that that become a part of us. I know all the things that you have done, and those are on your resume. But when you look ahead. What's the plan for Jeff? What, well, what, what else do you want to do? No, I'm going to build the C-suite network. I'm really excited about that. I think the more that we have uh, become digitized, we've become more connected but disconnected. Indeed. And, and I think it's going to become very apparent on who, the, who can we trust. And so to have a trusted network, I think, is going to be extremely important in the future, e even if it's not huge, if it's small. So for me, uh, what I'm trying to do is build a business that makes money and gives great value. All right, or gives great value and makes good money. Do well and do good. Yeah, and, and if I can do those things, then something better will come out of it. What that is, I don't know. Does that mean I'll sell the company? Maybe. If not, I'm still running a business that's profitable, that's good, good value, it's doing the right things, and I'm having fun with it. Again, getting into my three conditions of satisfaction. And that's how I look at things. So, so you know, since I stepped back into the C-suite network, not just being the chairman but now the CEO, I've moved it to profitability, moved it to higher growth, and got it on what I think is a stable ground of where I want to go. But but again, I'm happy with it the way it is and how we're doing it, but I'll be more happy if we can do other bigger things, whatever those things might come. And whatever it is may come to those who are listening, what Jeff has said early on, if you aspire to run your own company or climb your career, there are three characteristics that he asks you to consider. Number one is focus. Number two is focus. Number three 
is the notion that God gave us two ears and one mouth. Why is that? Well, you, you got to be a receptive of understanding. I mean, we can, as entrepreneurs, business people, we can talk ourselves into a plan pretty quick. And all the plans look like they're going to go from A to B. I've never seen a plan <laughs> work like that ever, 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 ever. And so, so why don't we honest with each other? And the best thing to do is to, you know, participate. And it's like, you know, I tell young entrepreneurs, if you, if you want to see if you can really do something, go sell it first. And if you can sell it, now you got something you can do. But most people, we visualize it, we think it through. It looks great on paper, and then it, you know, you build, you build a, you, know, you build it, and hope they come, and no one shows up. Well, you and I learned, you were Air Force, me Army. No battle plan ever survived the first shot. That's and, exactly and that's right. That's what we yeah, do. We yeah. twist and turn. Jeff, once again, thank you so much for your contribution. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.